listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to the podcast again today. So great to have all of you listening. I'm recording this from beautiful, sunny, hot, muggy Virginia Beach, Virginia. And uh, I'm here for the next few days before I head to New Jersey with my family. And uh, I've been having a great time. I've so been looking forward to today's podcast. One of the things that's been happening, uh, as you've probably seen me put on Instagram or Twitter, Facebook, is that we've been getting so many messages from uh, people that listen to the podcast that have been sharing it. And I want to say thank you to all those of you that have been doing that, but so many messages with people giving us suggestions, things they'd like to hear on the podcast. And I really do appreciate that. Um, And by the way, if you're listening and there are some things that you do want to hear in the upcoming weeks on the podcast, um, please send them to me on uh, Instagram. You you know, you can private message me, direct message me. You can uh, at reply on Twitter. My name on Instagram is at Ted Shuttlesworth. Uh, my name on Twitter is at T Shuttlesworth. Uh, and then, of course, on Facebook or Messenger, you could send that. We'd love to hear from you and um, really appreciate all of you that are listening and sending these suggestions. Today, we're going to cover one that was sent in by somebody recently. And uh, I want to talk about that. And of course, as you saw in the title information, the title of today's podcast is Why You Should judge others. And obviously that's not a typo. I didn't mean shouldn't. I do mean should. And I'm going to show you what I mean from the word of God about that. But uh, it's important to understand what the Bible teaches regarding relationships uh, within the Christian faith, within the church. And we're going to deal with that today a little bit. And so Jordan sent this um, question in. And so there's a shout out to Jordan. Thank you for suggesting it. Thank you for messaging it. And thank you for listening and sharing the podcast. Really appreciate it. So Jordan, today we're going to uh, deal with that. And he wrote in, he said, could you uh, do a podcast in regard to how would you correct uh, fellow believers or the judgment of fellow believers or how to, even in churches, how, how do, how do we bring correction or judgment uh, to fellow believers that are within the church. So two things I'm going to deal with today on why you should judge others. We're going to deal with it from a perspective of um, somebody who's a believer talking to another believer. And then we're going to also deal with it from the perspective of what if you are the minister or it, you hold a five-fold ministry gift title and you're having to deal with these things, how do you properly deal with them? Uh, let's say, for example, if you're the pastor and you're over the church, um, at what point uh, is it appropriate for you to get involved and uh, and start bringing correction and discipline within the church? Which, by the way, guys, I think is something that's not being done as much today as it used to be done even when I was you know, a young teenager or, or, or a boy, you know, in church. I mean, I feel like there's been a departure uh, from bringing correction or discipline within the church. And I think a lot of that probably plays into the postmodern society that we're living in. Obviously, nobody, and I don't want to say nobody, you can't really make absolute calls like that. But let me say many people in this generation, uh, when you get, when you start dealing with millennials and even those below that generation and some over, 
uh, people do not want to hear about absolute truth, especially in a postmodern society. Um, everything is my interpretation of the truth. You know, who are you to tell me uh, what I should do, how I should live? You know, what, you know, people have this idea that uh, they're their own personal judge. And, uh, you know, we got the whole only God can judge me people. Um, and what they've forgotten is, is that the Bible is God's standard. And he also set men in the church, what the Bible calls fivefold ministry gifts, the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. He set those men and women in the church for the perfecting of the saints. And so there is a responsibility there for church leadership to bring people into what the Bible calls perfection or maturity. And part of the way to do that is by holding to a standard, which is the word of God, following it and doing our very best to obey it on a daily basis and have leaders that are encouraging us to obey it. And as we'll see in the word in just a few moments, not only that, but also bring correction or discipline if there are people that are claiming to be believers, but will not follow or obey the mighty word of God. So there does have to be a standard that is absolute. I want to say that even in a postmodern society where everybody wants to regulate their own truth or define what truth is for them, which by the way, God never allowed people to do. God never in the word, older new Testament allowed people to just determine what truth was for them individually. Well, you know, that might be good for him because that's where he's at in life. But, you know, we just don't do that. We don't live like that. You know, we're a little bit more free with our interpretation. God never allowed that. God always set a standard of truth and then held every one of his children to the standard that he set. And he also set people in the Old and New Testament, whether it be kings, prophets, or priests, uh, in the New Testament, we have fivefold ministry gifts that I just mentioned. Those people are sent there by God to uphold his standard and to enforce his covenant. So without question, God always did that. It's always been how he has operated. But I do want to say that, you know, and I've, I've heard some things to the contrary recently, and maybe I'll do a whole nother podcast on it, but the Bible is God's standard. The Bible you hold in your hand is the Bible that God has given us without question. I mean, if you don't understand the fullness of the fact that the Bible we hold, I mean, it's literally a miracle. The Old Testament that we have is the exact same Old Testament that they had for thousands of years that the Jewish people had that they kept in the temple next to the table, uh, you know, that God instructed them to keep the keep there. It's the same. It's not changed. Uh, the New Testament that we hold in our hands uh, is the same New Testament that they've held, uh, you know, back in Bible times, 2000 years ago. Bibliology is a great study. And the study of what we have as God's word is extremely fascinating and miraculous. Um, people that have wanted there to be corruption in scripture. I mean, if you study it, it was impo- it would have been impossible for people to corrupt scripture. And I've done some articles and I've done some messages and different things on that. Maybe I'll do more in the upcoming uh, weeks, but it would have been literally impossible for them to corrupt scripture and to take all of the manuscripts that were around the world and corrupt them simultaneously and to match each other to remove doctrines or to corrupt the word of God. We would know about it. And uh, it just is not the case. So anyway, the Bible is God's standard. And so we're going to deal with that today. And before we jump in, let me just say, if you're watching this, you're a veteran, you know what I'm about to say. 
quickly share this, screenshot it, put it on your Instagram, uh, share it with somebody on Twitter, Snapchat, Facebook, Friendster, whatever. Uh, send it out today. If you feel like this podcast is blessing you, it's bringing you value, you're enjoying it, it's building up your spirit, as many of you are telling me is happening, share it with somebody. And I really appreciate you doing that. It means a lot to me. And um, it's blowing my mind the kind of momentum that the podcast is getting. We're on our way quickly to 25,000 downloads. I mean, it's amazing. 25,000 downloads is is the upcoming goal that we're going to hit very soon. And it's just, it's awesome how God's using it to touch people around the world. So thank you very much to everybody that's listening. Let's jump in today. Why you should judge others. Why you should judge others. And the first thing I want to look at obviously that may have jumped to everybody's mind right off the bat is something uh, that we find in the book of Matthew chapter seven and uh, three verses of scripture that uh, we could quickly get into because obviously this may be something you hear in your mind while we're talking about this subject. (laughs) And it's something that people use all the time, probably in the wrong context, but this is what the Bible says. Do not judge others. Matthew 7 and verse 1, do not judge others and you will not be judged. Verse 2, for you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. Now look at verse 3, and why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own eye? Now that's the New Living Translation of Matthew 7 one through three, and obviously we need to talk about this first because people would obviously bring this verse, these three verses of scripture up and say, see, it's very plain right there in the scripture. The Bible says, don't judge others. Uh, and that's not really what the Bible is saying here. Obviously, as you've probably just seen and heard, Jesus is not saying don't judge others, period. What he's saying is, if you don't want to be judged, don't judge others. Read it again very clearly. Verse one, do not judge others and you won't be judged. So for you, verse two, you'll be treated as you treat others. And the standard you use in judging is the standard by which you'll be judged. So let's stop and talk about those two verses real quick. Number one, Jesus is not saying not to judge people because he did. Jesus was judging people. Jesus would call people out for their foolishness. I mean, you cannot look at the things Jesus said to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and think that Jesus wasn't passing judgment. He called them, you know, dead men. You know, you're a foolish bunch of dead men in whitewashed sepulchers or tombs. He said, you don't know God. You know, you're of your father, the devil. I mean, he he judged them. I mean, what do you do when Jesus goes into the temple and finds people that are scamming God's children out of money for sacrifices? And he's so ticked off that he flipped their tables over After first braiding his own whip, he went into the temple, flipped over their tables and beat those men out of the temple with a whip that he made himself. He judged them harshly for what they were doing. But see, Jesus is not teaching us in Matthew chapter seven that you're not supposed to judge people. He's saying that if you're someone who judges others, you will also be judged. Not only will you be judged, but the way you treat others or the way you judge them or the standard that you use in judging them is the standard by which you'll be judged. 
So what he's saying is, is that this is obviously seed time and harvest in action. What you sow, you will reap. If you go around judging people all the time, they're going to look at you and judge you as well. The same measure or standard you use to judge others is the standard by which you will be judged. So let me give you an example. If you're harsh with people all the time, if you're always calling people out for every little thing that they do, every single mistake they've ever made, guess what? When people look at you, they're going to be harsh with you. They're going to call you out on every little mistake uh, that, that you make. One thing you'll find out is if you're a person who deals out mercy, if you're a person who deals out grace to others, that you work with them, that you love them, guess what? Uh, seed time and harvest is still working. And these are and when people see uh, you and if you have a problem, there's gonna be people that extend you mercy and extend you grace because that's how you treat others. And Jesus wants them to understand, number one, you've got to be focused on your own life first. Don't be a person. That's what verse three is based about. Are based on. He's saying, why are you worrying about a small problem in your friend's life when you've got a huge problem in your life? See, verse four says, how can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? He said, you're a hypocrite. First, get rid of the log in your own eye. Then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. So even there, you see Jesus is not telling you not to deal with those that are around you. He's saying deal with yourself first. So let me just say the first thing that needs to happen uh, when we think about this, should I judge others uh, or should I not? uh, I'm going to show you why you should in a few other scriptures here momentarily in the New Testament. But Jesus was very clear. Your first The first person you're supposed to judge is yourself. The first person you're supposed to judge is yourself. I I am, listen, I am completely convinced, guys, that if people in the body of Christ would be far more introspective, that the body of Christ would be so enriched just purely by that. For example, imagine this scenario. Imagine you go to church and you see something that you you might know in your heart is displeasing to God. You might see somebody do something or say something or treat another person in a way that you know is displeasing to God. Imagine instead of first talking to somebody else about, can you believe how he treated her? I mean, I cannot believe what he said to her right in the lobby of the church. Instead of doing that, Instead of getting offended, instead of doing all that, all that stuff, what if when you saw that happen, the first thing you did was go home and take 30 minutes or to an hour to take stock of your life and say, man, I saw him treating them like that. Let me look back over my life. Let me think for about 30 minutes to an hour and pray. Is there anything I'm doing? That's displeasing to God. What if we allowed what we saw others doing? that we knew was displeasing to God to be a wake-up call and say, you know what? I saw him do that. I saw her do that today. I need to go back and just see if I'm being uh, careful enough to please the Lord. I need to take a look through my life. Is there, Lord, is there, the first prayer you should pray is this, and I pray it myself all the time. Lord, if there's anything I'm doing, if there's anything in my life that's displeasing to you, 
oh, today, burn it out by the fire of the Holy Ghost. If there's anything in my life that's offending you, Lord, David prayed like this. That's what made him a man after God's own heart. He'd say, Lord, create in me a clean heart, renew a right spirit within me. Don't cast me out of your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. You know, we need to pray prayers like that and judge ourselves first. Lord, is there anything I'm saying, doing? Are there any actions I'm taking? Let me go a step further. Are there things I'm not doing that I should be doing that are displeasing to you? Whatever it is, Lord, let the Holy Spirit speak to me today. And whatever it is that I'm doing in my life that's not pleasing you, let today be the last day it ever happens in Jesus' mighty name. Imagine if the body of Christ did that when they saw something that they knew was wrong rather than first attacking the person. Because that's what Jesus is saying here in Matthew chapter 7. He's saying you're a hypocrite. First, get rid of the log that's in your own eye. And then, look at this, you'll see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Two things that happen when you deal with yourself first. Number one, it puts you into a state of humility and meekness. That means all pride has to be driven out of your life to realize you got problems too. You've got things that you're working on to please God more fully. And you've got that in your mind, meaning you know you're not perfect. So by dealing with yourself first, it puts you into a state of humility and meekness. Well, let me tell you something. When you get into that state, two blessings come to you that are very clear. Number one, the Bible says that God resists the proud, but gives more grace to the humble. So that means that when you humble yourself, God even extends you more favor and more grace. The second blessing that comes from being in that uh, position before God is that the Bible says in Matthew chapter five, and I believe it's verse five, blessed are the, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. So when you have a meek spirit or a humble spirit, it allows God to deliver to you your inheritance, spiritual inheritance. You can lay your hands on it by meekness, by being humble by removing pride from your life. So let's just get this out of the way right at the beginning. Jesus is not telling us not to judge other people. He's actually teaching us to judge ourselves first. Judge ourselves first. And so that's extremely important because how many people do you actually know or do you have you seen that are humble enough to admit, I need to judge myself before I even think about dealing with, uh, with somebody else. You know, that's that's huge. Imagine the kind of, uh, uh, I don't know, I mean, it would, it would, the body of Christ would run much more smoothly if people operated like that. Notice what Paul said to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 31. Paul wrote this in his letter to the Corinthians, uh, the first letter. 1 Corinthians 11 uh, verse 31, and it goes around along just with what Jesus said. Listen to this, English Standard Version. But if we judged ourselves truly, then we would not be judged. Paul said this, if we would judge ourselves truly, we would not be judged. Notice in the New Living, it says it this way, but if we would examine ourselves, as I just encouraged you to do, 
we would not be judged by God in this way. Hmm. New International Version. If we, if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. So notice, it's very interesting how Paul lines his teaching up with Christ here and says that we need to be purely judging ourselves first and we wouldn't come under judgment at that point. We must, we must do it. We've got to be judging ourselves first. So the first person we're called to judge is us. But let's go a step further. I already told you that Jesus obviously judged people uh, in, while he was on the earth. And I gave you examples of, uh, of places in the New Testament where Jesus did that. But Paul had a lot to say as well about judging other people. Paul was, a, you know, in my opinion, probably the most impactful uh, apostle uh, that there was on the earth. So when Paul, who God gave the, uh, the privilege of, uh, of writing about two thirds, half to two thirds of the new Testament, you know, Paul was no dummy. Paul had it together and he understood that this is how we have to conduct ourselves within the church because what you'll begin to realize is there are things that happen that have to be dealt with. And how do you deal? How do you deal with them? And so let's talk about that. Matthew chapter 18. We're going to go there first before we get into what Paul said. We're going to go back again to what Jesus said. Matthew chapter 18. I'm going to start reading with verse 15 because uh, Jesus is dealing with the subject of correcting another believer. How do you deal with problems believer to believer? And this is what Jesus teaches. Verse 15 of Matthew 18, if another believer sins against you, watch how important this next step is. Go privately and point out the offense. And if the other person listens and confesses it, you've won that person back. So isn't it interesting that Jesus teaches the very first thing that you should do if your brother sins? Now, I want to show you this because I'm reading from the New Living Translation, but in the original manuscripts of the Greek, some of them do not include against you. So it would just read like this, if another believer sins. So it doesn't even have to be something that they did against you. It's just that you have such love for your fellow believers that you don't want to see them stumble. We don't do it once again because I'm, I'm teaching you this now from the standpoint we've already judged ourselves we've already stayed introspective we've already been praying lord is my life displeasing to you is there anything i'm doing that's making you unhappy so i'm i'm telling you this from that standpoint we've already gotten pride out of our lives we're not doing this because we're you know the church hall monitor and we want to go around pointing out we're not policing other believers but we're doing this out of a standpoint of love because we know that sin is a killer and sin will kill everything it touches sin kills everything it touches so notice if we read if we read this in some manuscripts it would say it this way if another believer sins go privately and point out the offense and if the other person listens and confesses it, you'll want, you'll have won that person back. 
Notice what it doesn't say to do. If another believer sins, send a direct message to your friends about it on Facebook or Instagram. Notice it doesn't say gossip and spread rumors about that person who sinned. Notice it doesn't say treat them like they're a piece of crap (laughs) because you've seen how they act behind closed doors when they're not sitting in a pew or in a chair in the church. No, it says the moment you see it happen out of love. Why? Because love wants to see its brothers and sisters succeed and do well in the body of Christ. So step one, if another believer sins, whether it's against you or just a sin against the Lord, Go privately, out of love, with humility, with meekness. Point out the offense. So that's number one. Now, what if you're unsuccessful? Verse 16. uh, Then, if they won't listen to you, take one or two others with you and go back again. So what's the next step? If they won't listen about the sin that's going on in their life, take a couple of other humble, meek, not prideful believers Take them with you as witnesses so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. Verse 17, but if the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church. Now see, this is called protocol. This is New Testament protocol of how we're supposed to deal with people who call themselves believers, followers of Christ, followers of God, but for some reason will not adhere to the Bible as the word of God, they won't obey it. So first, you speak to them privately. Second, if they don't listen, take back a couple believers with you and try to talk to them in a kind and a humble and a meek way. Try to put them back on track, bring them back into obedience to the word. And if they're still saying, I don't care what you guys say, who are you to talk to me like that? Then you take your case to the church. That means you let your pastor or the whoever's in leadership that may deal with pastoral care, some of the elders of your church, some of the deacons, if the pastor's available, you know, and he can deal with this at that level, take it to the pastor. Because notice our number one goal, our number one desire is not to be right. Please get this today. Those of you listening to the podcast, our number one goal is not to be right. Our number one goal is to save somebody's soul from judgment, eternal judgment. We're helping them. I'm trying to help you, trying to get you back on track so that God can continue to bless you so that you can continue to walk in peace, joy, and love and make heaven your home by the end of your life. So take your case to the church. Then watch this. Then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, I mean, they, the pastor speaks to them, the elders speak to them, whoever, people in leadership, and, and they still refuse to listen. Listen to Jesus teaching. This is Jesus, by the way. Treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector, which, by the way, were avoided in that time and hated by almost everybody. Not that we should hate them, but what he's saying is remove yourself from fellowship with them and treat them like they're a pagan. Treat them like they're a sinner. Notice what he's saying is, he's saying if if you've got somebody that calls themselves a follower of Christ, they call themselves a believer, however, they will not obey the word, which by the way is the sign that you are a believer, that you produce fruit that shows you're a believer. Jesus said you'll know them by their fruit, 
What fruit? The actions you take that are in accordance with God's word. You can't be a Christian and decide not to obey the Bible. It's just basic. <laughs> so if they, if they, if they ignore you, if they ignore the believers you bring with you, if they ignore the pastor, the elders, or the church's decision, and they say, you know, we're going to live how we want to live and we don't care what you have to say about it. Then at that point, treat them like a pagan, treat them like a heathen or a sinner and do not continue to have fellowship with them. And it gets to the place, by the way, where the church themselves, you know, it's not that we don't have grace. It's not that there's not mercy, but when you've been spoken to three times and you still refuse to adhere to what the Bible plainly says, it's a sign that the love of God's not in you. It's a sign that your life has not been changed and you don't even care whether or not you're pleasing God. You don't even care whether or not Jesus is happy with your life, which means he's not your Lord. He's not your Lord because if he's your Lord, then you're seeking to please and obey him. Everybody wants a savior, but nobody almost wants a Lord. A savior just keeps you from destruction. A Lord expects obedience. So it's the same thing we see. Paul went on to teach the same exact things that Jesus taught. And I want to show you some of the things uh, that Paul had to say about it. For example, in 1 Corinthians, let's go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, Paul is dealing with uh, spiritual pride and he's condemning it, but he cannot understand why this immature church in Corinth is doing some of the things they're doing and then bragging about it like they've got some kind of spiritual freedom or, you know, I don't I don't understand why they're, he's saying, I don't understand why you're bragging about living in sin like you have some kind of spiritual freedom that other believers don't have. And he says this in 1 Corinthians 5, let's read uh, verses 1 through 13. He said, I can hardly believe the report about sexual immorality going on among you, something that even pagans don't do. I'm told that a man in your church is living in sin with his stepmother, having sex with his stepmother. You're so proud of yourselves, but you should be mourning in sorrow and shame, and you should remove this man from your fellowship. Whoa, that's harsh. Hold on a second. Paul is giving instructions to the church here. Remove this man from your fellowship. Verse three, even though I'm not with you in person, I'm with you in the spirit. And as though I were there, I've already passed judgment on this man. Did you hear that? Paul said, I've already passed judgment on this man. You know what they could say to Paul? You weren't even there. You don't even know what happened. You're not, you're not even there. Paul said, I know I'm not there, but I'm telling you what to do. I've already passed judgment on him. Now I'm telling you to pass judgment on him and remove him from your church. Verse four, in the name of the Lord Jesus, you must call a meeting in the church. I will be present with you in spirit, and so will the power of our Lord Jesus. Verse five, then you must throw this man out and hand him over to Satan. Think how, think about how strong these words are. Paul's writing to the church. Throw this man out of your church and hand him over to Satan so that his sinful nature will be destroyed and he himself will be saved on the day the Lord returns. Verse six, your boasting about this is terrible. Don't you realize that this sin is like a little yeast 
that spreads through the whole batch of dough, verse 7, get rid of the old yeast or sin by removing this wicked person from among you. Then you'll be like a fresh batch of dough made without yeast, which is what you really are. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. So let us, verse 8, celebrate the festival, not with the old bread of wickedness and evil, but with the new bread of sincerity and truth. Verse 9, when I wrote you before, I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin. Now, let me stop here because these next three verses, these next four verses are going to be eye-opening for you listening to the podcast. Listen to what Paul says in verse 10 through 13. He said, when I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin, I wasn't talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin or are greedy or who cheat people or worship idols. You'd have to leave this world to avoid people like that. I meant, verse 11, that you are not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer yet indulges in sexual sin or is greedy or worships idols, or is abusive, or is a drunkard, or who cheats people. Don't even eat with such people. Wow, that's harsh. Verse 12, it isn't, this is so big right here, get this guys, get this right here. It isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders. That's talking about people that aren't in the church, people who aren't Christians, people who aren't in the faith. But it certainly is your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. Please get that. 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 12. It's not my responsibility to judge outsiders, but it certainly is your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. God will judge those on the outside, but as the scriptures say, you must remove the evil one from among you. So notice Paul, who taught on grace, who believed in grace, who understood mercy and grace, gives strict instructions that if you see people that are in the faith, in the church, that continue living in sin, He said, you've got to confront them. You've got to judge them. And obviously he's not, uh, get this, Paul is not trying to contradict Jesus' teaching by any means. Paul has aligned himself with the teaching of, of Christ. So what Paul is saying here would be completely in line with Matthew chapter 18 that we just read. So if there's a, a believer who's living in sin, Obviously, what's the first step? You go to them privately. Number two, if they don't listen to you, you take some people back and you talk to them again. Number three, if they still won't listen, you take it to the church. Paul was already at the church level. He's already at level three by the time he's writing this letter. And he's telling him he's still not listening, still having sex with his stepmother. So here's what you got to do. Toss him out of the church. That's the same thing Jesus taught in Matthew 18. He said, if the church comes to a decision and the person still will not listen to it, then treat that person as a pagan. Treat them as a heathen. Paul said, throw them out. Toss them out. In fact, I want to give you seven quick reasons 
that uh, people should be removed from church. I mean, that's like the final, you know, that's like the final step. I mean, you don't want to start by just throwing everybody out of the church, but it gets to a point of, you know, because here's why. Let me stop and say, here's why. You've got people of all different maturity types within the body of Christ. You have some people that are extremely mature in Christ, but you've got other people who are weak in faith, people that have been saved uh, for, uh, you know, a shorter amount of time that are still working out their salvation, still being taught the scripture, still being matured, still being raised up. And so you can't deal with everybody at the same level because everybody's not at the same level. Uh, I will say the Bible says to whom much is given, much is required. So the more teaching you receive, the more uh, mature you become as a believer, the more is expected of you, the more is uh, the more is required of you. Because you've been given more, so more is required. To whom much is given, much is required. But if you've got somebody coming in that just got saved, you know, eight months ago, that's just now coming into the kingdom, just now learning these biblical truths, you have to work with people where they're at. You can't just be bringing out the guillotine because, you know, people are making mistakes. You work with them. You're in love, you you know, walking in love, living in love, acting in love as Jesus would. People that had a desire to please God and to live for Christ and to, you know, Jesus didn't deal with those people harshly. Notice that. If you look at the life of Christ, people that were making mistakes, people that were falling into sin, whatever, you know, issues that he came across people living in, he didn't deal with those people harshly. Who did Christ deal with harshly? It was the people who had studied the word of God since they were young and used it to put unfair expectations on people and to twist it, manipulate it for their own financial gain or use it to put heavy oppression on the people. These were the Pharisees and the Sadducees and Jesus dealt with them because they knew what they were doing was wrong and they still did it anyway. And Jesus treated them uh, as he taught us to treat people like that as they were pagan or heathens. But let's just go through a few of these and look at what the word of God says. Number one, one of the reasons, uh, in the New Testament for what we may call excommunication or just removing somebody from church is what we just covered, a sin uh, that was they don't care about being forgiven of. People that are just sinning, and we dealt with that in Matthew 18. If the church comes to a decision and you still won't listen, you don't care about the sin in your life, then you're, you're gonna have to be removed because you do not submit to God. You do not submit to his word. You do not submit to the men of God. So where there's no submission, it means you don't care about pleasing God, which means you're not truly a believer in the first place. Number two, the second thing is when uh, false doctrines creep in or offenses that are contrary to scripture. If there are people that are trying to twist the scripture and teach people things that are not true, false, harmful, Paul dealt with this in Romans chapter 16 when he said, he said, I make one more appeal to you, my brothers and sisters. This is Romans 16, 17. Watch out for people who cause divisions and upset people's faith by teaching things contrary to what you've been taught. Stay away from them. Such people are not serving Christ our Lord. They're serving their own personal interests by smooth talk and glowing words, and they deceive innocent people. So number two, false doctrines, offenses that are contrary to scripture. 
is a, a huge point of contention and should be dealt with harshly because we have, like I just mentioned, we have young people in the faith that don't quite know what to believe yet. And if, if what you end up ha- having happen is people that are spreading false doctrine and false teaching, it screws up the life of a believer who's supposed to be learning how to please God. False doctrine destroys their future for Christ. Number three, hating Christ. That seems obvious, but you know, you know, if you've got somebody coming to your church that actually had somebody write in about this not long ago, they're like, yeah, I got this lady in our church that, you know, does not believe Christ is the son of God, doesn't believe he's the Messiah, doesn't believe he's the chosen one, all this stuff. I mean, just making all these accusations about Christ, it's like, are you just there to bring division? But Paul writes in First uh, Corinthians sixteen twenty two, if anyone does not love the Lord, that person is cursed, our Lord come. So hating Christ, it seems obvious, but that's a massive thing. And Paul had to deal with it. Uh, Disorderly conduct and disobedience in the church. Think about that. Listen to uh, second Thessalonians chapter three and verse six. Uh, Paul wrote, and now dear brothers and sisters, we give you this command. Notice it's a command and not a suggestion. We give you this command in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Stay away from all believers who live idle lives and don't follow the tradition they received from us. So disorderly conduct. They they don't live lives that are pleasing to God. They live lives, they do what they want to do. They don't follow the teaching and preaching that was brought to them and brought to us. So he said, verse seven, for you know that you ought to imitate us. We were not idle when we were with you. So notice that people that are living lazy, idle lives, stay away from those kinds of people. Apostasy, people that are leaving the faith. Listen to first Timothy chapter 19, uh, chapter one, verses 19 and 20. Cling to your faith in Christ and keep your conscience clear for some people have deliberately violated their consciences. Notice this deliberately on purpose violated their consciences. And as a result, their faith has been shipwrecked. Listen to verse 20. Hymenaeus and Alexander are two examples. Now, I want you to know that this was a letter that Paul wrote to to, uh, to Timothy. And these letters many times were meant to be read publicly. Notice that Paul had no problem naming names in this letter. He said, these people's example of sin is so extreme, I'm gonna name them and make an example out of them so that the same problem doesn't happen again. He said, Hymenaeus and Alexander are two examples. I threw them out and handed them over to Satan so that they might not learn to, so that they might learn to not, not to blaspheme God. So he names them and then tells publicly, I threw them out. I tossed them out of the church because they deliberately violated their consciences. Apostasy, falling away by doing what you want to do rather than what the Bible says to do. Number six, obviously heresy, any kind of heresy. Uh, He wrote to Titus in Titus chapter three and verse 10. Paul said, if people are causing, once again, divisions among you, first give a first and a second warning. Notice that's what Jesus said to do. After that, have nothing more to do with them. People that are listening to this podcast right now, especially in the light of all the teaching that goes around in the the United States of America, must be thinking, my Lord, this is harsh. 
I mean, have nothing more to do with them. Don't eat with them. Don't spend time with them. Don't talk to them. Have nothing more to do with them. Paul said it multiple times. Why? Bad company corrupts good character. Did you know even business people, people that write books, motivational speakers, the research has been done. Your life will become an average of the five people you hang out with the most. I mean, that's been proven time and time again. Everything from where you eat, what you eat, the amount of money you make in a salary annually, where you live, what you drive, every aspect of your life will be an average of the five people you hang out with the most. So Paul is very, very harsh on relationships when it comes to dealing with people who refuse to obey Christ and obey the word. You know, is that what you want your life to look like? Do you want to hang around with people? Just, well, you know, I don't want to completely cut them off. You know, I want to keep them around so I can, no. Because what's going to happen is that your life is going to end up becoming an average of the people you hang around. And if you start to think sin's not a big deal, if you start to think, that, you know, it's okay for, you know, well, you know, we can't judge. And no, the Bible tells us clearly that we're to judge and to stay free and away from sin. And for people that don't think sin's a big deal and live in it, stay away from them. Paul said for people like that, verse 11, Titus 311, people like that have turned away from the truth and their own sins condemn them. And then number seven would be sexual sins or fornication, other sins that damn the soul, according to scripture. Uh, We dealt with that in 1 Corinthians chapter five, sexual sin. You know, you could look at Galatians five, Mark seven, Romans chapter one, dealing with homosexuality, lesbianism. You know, go through the New Testament, you'll see Paul dealt with it in the same way. So we look at Paul's teaching, we look at what the apostles believed. Uh, Peter, who was another phenomenal apostle, affirmed Paul, his teaching and his letters as the word of God. We understand that Jesus taught this, that Paul taught this. It's not that we're not supposed to judge. It's the way that we judge others is how we will be judged. So first we talked about the fact we've got to become introspective, judge ourselves first Get into a state of humility and and meekness, and then when we deal with others, it'll be done in love and from a standpoint of wanting to help and bring those people back to where God's called them to be. But without question, we've got to be people who look at sin and don't hold it lightly. Sin is a killer. We have an epidemic of sin around the world that's causing people to, to die in a place where they'll experience eternal judgment. Jesus wants us to live in a place where we're setting people free from the bondage of sin. And if we've got a church that's filled with people who don't think sin is a big deal, how much more is it going to hurt the purpose of God and the fulfillment, by the way, of the Great Commission? If we don't think sin's a big deal, then we're not going to be uh, motivated to go out and get people delivered from the power of sin, the bondage of sin. And that's why uh, I have such an issue with the hyper grace movement and message is because it does not place proper uh, weight or priority on you know the removal of sin, which Paul did and Christ did and Peter did and all the apostles. Our Bible, our New Testament condemns living in sin. Paul wrote back to every church without exception, maybe with the exception of the Ephesians, and and warned them and encouraged them, do not continue to live in sin. And so it's very important 
And I want to pray for those of you today. Maybe you've been wondering about this, struggling with this. How do we deal? How do I deal with friends that have this issue or family members that seem to be struggling with this? How can I deal with it? I want to pray that God gives you the wisdom and the words to deal with it and to keep you in a place of meekness and humility so that it comes from a place where people can receive what you're saying. But more than ever before, we need to be living to please the Lord. Jesus Christ is coming back very soon, and we've got to do everything we can to be pleasing to him and to do what he's called us to do. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for every man and every woman listening to the podcast. I pray, Lord, that you'd give them a heart and a desire to please you in everything they do. Lord, give us a meek and a humble spirit as we stand before you that we would not enter into pride, that we would not be puffed up as the Bible says, but we would continue introspectively knowing that we have a desire to please you in all that we do so that when we go and and, and bring help to friends, family members, loved ones, they'll know immediately it's not done from a place of pride or condemnation, but it's done from a place of love and humility, bringing them back to where God's called them to be. And we thank you that you're using us, Lord, in these final moments before Christ comes. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen. Listen, I want to say thanks again for listening today. Let me quickly say this to you. I just released a blog post uh, recently, uh, just a few days ago, really. Um, And if you didn't see it, I gave four simple tips for more consistent Bible reading. You know, one of the things that keeps us free from sin, according to scripture, David wrote in Psalm 119 and verse 11, Lord, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against God. And uh, I would love for you to go check it out. It'll take you less than three minutes to read the post on four simple tips to more consistent Bible reading. Have you ever set a goal for yourself to read a certain portion or amount of scripture and uh, at the end of the month, your bookmark is still in the exact same place and you didn't finish what you set out to uh, and started to read or accomplish? These four tips that I wrote in the blog post will give you uh, fuel, really, to accomplish your Bible reading goals and to have a better devotional life. You can check it out on my blog, which is easy to get to. It's just blog.miracleword.com, blog.miracleword.com, and you can see that it's the latest uh, post on there at the time of this podcast recording entitled, Four Simple Tips for More Consistent Bible Reading. I love you guys. Until next week, don't forget, goodness and mercy are following you for the rest of your life. Talk to you next week. We would love for you to join us in a live service. To find out when Ted Shuttlesworth Jr. will be near you, please visit our website at www.miracleword.com. 